Please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we are going to look this morning at just a couple of verses at the beginning of 1 Timothy. Today in our country and in many families, we are celebrating Mother's Day. Husbands, if you didn't realize it was Mother's Day by now, it, this is your last warning. Um, figure something out between now and the end of the service quickly. But um, it, it, we're celebrating Mother's and Mother's Day, and moms are worth celebrating. They're worth affirming. But our pattern as a church is while we recognize and we celebrate moms, we celebrate we may recognize things, uh, cultural holidays, together as families and as individuals. We, unless it's related, connected intimately to what we believe as Christians, uh, we typically do not celebrate those things. Our pattern is to try to, as we work through a text, rather than every Mother's Day preaching a Mother's Day sermon, or every Father's Day preaching a Father's Day sermon, or the like, and they're Think of all of the holidays that come close to a weekend and all the ones that we would have to start celebrating. Uh, Really what we do, our pattern has been simply to preach the next text, to go to the next text, to instead of allowing the holidays or the cultural significant events in our world to merely shape what we are hearing from the Lord, Rather, our goal is to allow God's word, God's, what God has to say, to shape what we hear. It is a, a radical approach. I've, I've never regretted this pattern of merely going to the next text. One of the benefits of it is that it, it forces us to wrestle with texts that may not be our favorite, that we would otherwise skip. The negative of it is that it forces us to wrestle with texts that we would rather, rather skip that we might find difficult. But there's an enormous blessing in this, that we get to hear all that God says, and we are leaving ourselves over to him and and what he desires to teach us. But here we are on Mother's Day morning, and we've been working our way through 1 Timothy, and we find in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the topic that Paul is addressing is that of slaves. And I just want to give a big disclaimer at this moment. This was in no way planned. We are not trying to in any way connect Mother's Day to slavery. I just, I just felt like that needed to be said at the outset. I know, especially if you, moms, if you have children in the home, it can feel like you are moving from one task to the next. It can feel like... You're just, your life is not your own. But we are in no way trying to support that idea by preaching on this text as we come to Mother's Day. Merely what we're trying to do at the outset is, is hear all that God says about every topic. And one of the things that we're going to find as we meditate on Paul's words to the slaves at the church where Timothy is pastoring. By the way, Timothy is pastoring, we have said over and over again, he is pastoring, he is leading the church in Ephesus. Well, earlier, one of our elders, David LeBlanc, read Paul's, part of the section of Paul's letter to that city in Ephesus, where Paul is directly addressing slaves and masters and how they are to live with one another, how they are to operate and think. 
And here, Paul is addressing another significant issue that has come up, that, is being, that needs to be addressed in particular. And this is a sensitive issue. Slavery is a sensitive issue, with, and rightfully so. And so what you and I need, before we ever step foot meditating on God's word, what you and I need most is for the Spirit of God to assist us as we study it. So would you join me in prayer, asking for God's help for us as we come to hear from him today. Father, this is indeed your word. It is good. We pray that you would teach us to delight in it and that you would teach us to put ourselves under it. Knowing that even as it is directed to a people in a specific place, in a specific time, it is also intended that we would read it and understand it, learn from it, and live by it. That we would be shaped by these words here. We need this text today, O Lord. So we pray for your work in us, that we may receive it to your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Follow along as I read just these first two verses in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, let as many bondservants, and that word bondservants there translated in the NIV is sometimes translated, I'm sorry, here in the New King James, is translated in some other translations as servants, but it is the word for slaves. That that as many as are slaves, that as many, that all slaves, you might say, that all slaves as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his teaching, his doctrine, may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them. Because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and urge, teach and exhort these things. Paul is writing to slaves here. And it's not only interesting, and we're going to look at what he says, but it is fascinating as we work through this passage, and if we were to consult some of the other passages in the New Testament, it is a little astonishing for us in the 21st century as we wrestle with, the, with what not only Paul says, but with what he doesn't say. Paul does not come right out and condemn slavery. And it raises all sorts of questions. In fact, we can read this text and you can immediately understand why this passage and some others taken out of the context were used by those in the antebellum South to advocate for and defend slavery. And they were used as leverage to oppress their slaves. Even amongst Christians. What we need to see is that the slavery in Paul's day was significantly different than the slavery that this country and and what we experienced in the West. It is significantly different than that. It was not based on uh, race or ethnicity. It was based primarily, you became a slave through a number of different ways. Some of that was uh, war. Part of that was through poverty. That is, when someone would grow, go, get, get themselves into debt, there were no bankruptcy laws there to protect individuals. And so part of the way that they would get themselves out of debt was by becoming a slave to someone, to the person that they debted. They would, they would avoid debtor's prison 
in hopes that maybe family or friends would bail them out. They would become willingly a slave and endure slavery until the time that they were able to work off their debt. But this does not mean that slavery was not harsh, that it was neutral in any way. It was still oppressive. It was still unfathomably evil in many ways. But it did, in those times, it served, it could have served, and it did often serve as a vital purpose. In fact, when you go back to the Old Testament, you will find that rather than disbanding slavery altogether, the Lord, he, he restricts it. What he actually does, if you read through the Old Testament and the laws regarding slavery, it was revolutionary in that time, unheard of. The law gives, God's word gave to slaves particular rights that everywhere else in the world were denied to them. They were to be treated in a way that was humanely, they were to be respected. More than that, slaves were not allowed to be kept longer than six years. They were to be released at the latest six years. That is every time a year of Jubilee, a certain time in which the whole land of Israel was to celebrate, all slaves were to be set free. God, in his wisdom, closely guarded the rights and privileges of the slaves of his people. And it was said that those amongst the Jewish people, amongst the people of God, when you had a slave, you did not just have a Jewish slave, you had a master. That is, they had distinct rights and privileges. There was integrity in their office. It was completely different than how you and I tend to think of it. But in Paul's day... There was oppression. There was definitely injustice. There was evil. And we, we get a sense of this in the words that Paul uses. Let as many or let all servants, let all slaves as are under the yoke. That word, phrase, translated under the yoke gives us the picture of harsh oppression. Here are slaves that are not slaves to Masters that are good, that are, that are leveraging, that are interested in them, that are interested in their long-term success and flourishing and freedom. These aren't those kinds of slaves. He is talking directly to slaves within the church. It is individuals who were Christians, but had unbelieving, unbelieving masters who were harsh and oppressive to them. These are masters who were Incredibly, incredibly difficult to deal with. And he calls them under the yoke. In this text, while he is talking specifically and narrowly to slaves, this text, verses 1 and 2, he is connecting to, it connects with all of us who are under authority, specifically The most narrow context, the easiest context would be in our work. We who have jobs, we who are out, you who are out in the world, dealing with bosses and managers. Especially in this context, bosses and managers that are harsh, that are difficult. What specifically Paul does not call, uh, what specifically does Paul call us to watch for in our work is is fascinating here. In other parts of the New Testament, as he is addressing slaves, he he addresses them, he he tells them to work, to to do good work, and to not work as man-pleasers, 
That is not to merely work in a way that's going to get the approval of your boss. Do not be a kiss-up in your job. Rather, you are to seek to honor the Lord in your work. Go to work to honor Christ. And work in a way that honors Him. So the way you work and the time you work and the effort that you put in, all of it is supposed to picture, it is supposed to honor Christ Jesus. But here, He is not addressing any of those things. In this text... It's fascinating. He does not address the quality of the work or the kind of work that these slaves are doing or even the impact of their work. He is addressing their attitude that they bring to their work. Notice that as many bondservants, that all slaves as are under the yoke count or regard or look upon their own masters worthy of all honor. This is a call to honor and respect their masters, even those masters, especially those masters who were harsh and oppressive. And if Paul is calling those slaves and they are expected to follow Christ in this way, how much more you and I, who are blessed that we are no longer under the tyranny of such a system, how much more ought you and I to approach our work like this? to count our managers and our bosses, even when they are harsh, even when their expectations rise above anything what is possible to achieve, even when they curse you out and make life difficult for you. This is a call to honor and respect your employer, your boss, your manager, That administrator, men, some of you work in construction. This is a call to honor that foreman who was constantly frustrating you. Who you feel is unfair to you. On one level, you can see how quickly this would come in. This means that you are putting an end to grumbling and complaining about the company, about your boss, with your friends. It means primarily with with other coworkers. Putting an end to your grumbling and complaining about the conditions. Putting an end to our hostility and disrespect to those who are over us at work. Whether you are talking to them or about them to our workers, to other workers. It means putting an end to our condescension, our mockery, or any other way of disrespecting those who are over us. Positively, this, this looks like Willingly giving honor and respect to those who are over us, even when they are not worthy of it. I mean, just picture the situation. These, these are slaves. Their lives are not their own. And while the system of slavery in the world was widespread, and by many estimates, there are more slaves today than there were even in the time of Paul. But it was known worldwide, that is, there was not a culture known that did not that did not use the system of slavery. Here we have a Christian who is a slave to a harsh and oppressive master. And far from encouraging him to rebel, far from encouraging him to act in a way that was without integrity, Paul tells him to count that master who is treating him harshly, to count him worthy of all honor. Sisters in Christ, brothers in Christ, 
Are you giving honor to your employer, to your bosses, to your managers at work? Are you showing them all respect? Or do you undermine them? Undermine them verbally. Undermine them with rolling your eyes. Undermining them with the way you work. With the attitude with which you work. Why does Paul tell them to do this? Well, we could go to Romans 13. Where there, in Romans 13, Paul, kind, Paul lays out the Christian's relationship to a government, in particular the Roman government, which was oppressive, which was anti-Christian in many ways. How was a Christian supposed to relate to it? With, with all positive, with all respect, with all honor. Why? Because God had established those leaders. Even those leaders that were oppressive towards Christianity. God had put all leaders in account of, in, in their positions and by showing them honor, we are honoring the Lord who put them there. We are trusting in His sovereignty. Even if they are not good, even if they are terrible, we are putting our trust in the Lord, not in them. But Paul doesn't go there. What you find in verse 1, let as many, let all slaves as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Why, Paul? So that, there's the purpose statement, so that the name of God and his doctrine, his teaching, may not be blasphemed. Here, Paul's goal isn't merely that God has put them there, although we, we, we believe that. God has put all people in the positions that they, he has put them, according to his wise, strange, unknowable providence to us. Yet his good purposes and plans for all the world. But Paul tells us that the reason that you and I, day to day, ought to show all honor to those bosses and, employ- and employers and managers and those people at work that are over us that make life difficult for us. The reason you ought to show them all honor isn't because they are worthy of it. It is for the sake of the name of God. That is... By our work, by our attitude, the way we work and the way we show honor to those at work, we are either showing the worthiness of God and our trust in Him. We are either lifting the name of God or we are demeaning it. How many people over the years have you known, have you talked to, who want nothing to do with Christianity because someone they knew at work and the way that they worked, and the attitude with which they worked. Now, work comprises so much of our lives. It takes so much of who we are. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what is your attitude to your bosses? To those over you? To your administrators? Do your coworkers hear you talk about those over you in ways that demean them? Does your attitude to those over you reflect one whose hope and confidence is in God? Does it reflect your confidence in His eternal purposes? 
that he has put you where he has put you in this time. And, and, and by his mercy and grace, you may find a new job. You, there will be an end to this time. And you and I have future promises awaiting us. Are we believing these things? Does our attitude at work, especially toward those over us, bring honor to the name of Christ? Or does it bring dishonor? Does it give weight to our witness to the hope of Christ? Or does it undermine it? Does it contradict it? Brothers and sisters, you and I, we we have to encourage one another in this. This is what you this is how you and I encourage you. Encourage one another. After church, throughout the week, we're talking to one another. And we share. Someone shares. You will never believe what my boss did. You'll never, you, my, my, the guys over me, the people over me, they just do not know what they are doing. They are running this, they're running this, this job, this workplace, my, my position. They're doing everything wrong. You may work for an imbecile. Some of us do. You may work for someone who is incompetent. You may work for someone worse who is harsh. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called in those conversations to encourage one another. Look to the Lord. Remember he has put you there. That person is over you for whatever reason and God has called you, he is calling you now to submit to that person and the way that you interact with them and the way that you show honor to them at work will show off your faith in the Lord and it will either give a credit to the name of Christ or it will, either, or it will be a detraction from it. Kids, teenagers, someday you will have a job. Some of you are beginning jobs now. Your jobs, especially those at the beginning, they're going to be hard. No one asks someone who with their first job to become the CEO. It does not happen. You're going to be a janitor. You're going to stock shelves. You're going to be nailing something, working in construction. You're going to be working with your hands, working with your back, working stooped over. You're going to be working hard. You may have high expectations for you. All of a sudden, you're going to have to be there at a certain time. And if you're not there, maybe you will have a boss that chews you out. You will not be treated fairly. You will not always be treated well. We live in a sinful, sin-cursed, broken world. Even as a teenager, even this week, some of you, if you work at a grocery store or an ice cream shop, you are still called to honor your bosses. Even if your boss is only a few years older than you. Honor them. Why? For the name of Christ. And this doesn't just apply to those of us in our work life. It applies to all of us who have authorities over us. Children, you are to honor your parents. Adults, we are to honor those who are in authority over to us. The way that we interact with police officers and others. Wives and husbands, Christians and the church leaders, Christians and governmental authorities. If we cannot honor the authorities in our lives, how can we really... And, and how, if we cannot honor the authorities that God has put into our lives, and those are authorities that we can see, how can we claim to honor God and his authority when we cannot see him? 
Brothers and sisters, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord even when those above you do not deserve it. And you'll notice, I want to be very clear here, you'll notice Paul, in nowhere, nowhere in the Scripture does he command masters, those masters who were Christians, for them to, by violence or force or in any way, to push or demand submission or obedience or honor from those who are beneath them. Rather, he always commands it and commends it to those who are servants. That is, this is something that is given willingly, voluntarily. It is a gift. And if we are trusting in the Lord, it is a gift motivated and fueled by faith in Christ. That is the first set. Let all slaves, he's talking slaves with unbelieving masters, let all slaves who are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And now Paul switches to address a different subset of slaves. And one part of the, what's fascinating about this text is that unlike almost anywhere else in the New Testament, whenever Paul is a, or, or the other apostles are addressing slaves, they almost always address them slaves and masters together. That there is a word for slaves and there is also a word for masters. This is how you are to conduct yourself. And we saw that when David LeBlanc read from Ephesians earlier. But he doesn't do that here. Here he addresses slaves alone. And it's it's almost as if there was a particular problem that had come up. That is, there were slaves within the Ephesian church at this point who were causing problems. And by the way that they were working and by their attitudes at work, they were undermining the name of Christ and the testimony of God's people. So the first subset of slaves he talks about are, are those slaves with particularly harsh, oppressive masters. But then he goes on, and now in verse 2, he talks with, to those slaves and those who have believing masters. That is, you who have, you are Christian slaves, and you who have a master who is himself or herself a Christian. How does Paul, what does he do, what does he, how does he commend them? And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren. Do you hear what he says to them? It's not merely that do not despise them who are over you. It's, it, now it's switched. Don't despise them because they are Christians. Do not despise them because they are Christians. It, it seems odd, doesn't it, that Christian workers need special encouragement to show respect to their Christian leaders, to their Christian bosses? But I want you to imagine with me this situation. Imagine you work all week with someone here and you are a, a Christian and you, you come to church and your employer is also a Christian and he attends church as well. And this, this guy is a good guy, but nine to five all the way through the week, he is the one who sets your schedule. He sets where you go. He is the one who determines all of that kind of stuff. He's got your pay, all of that. And so now here you gather with God's people. You are equal in Christ. Your voice matters just as much as his does. 
You are equally, you, you share equally in the promises of God. You share equally in worth and dignity, not only being made in the image of God, but having been redeemed by Christ Jesus. So you leave church Sunday, you know, and if I'm preaching late afternoon, you leave church and Monday morning, you go to work, and the same person now that you saw at church, now he is over you. She is over you. You can understand why that would begin to grate. And it gets even worse when you can imagine that you're not waiting till Monday morning. Here is a slave whose master is sitting nearby, perhaps next to them. Here is a slave who is considered now not only they are a fellow believer, but they are a brother. They are a sister in Christ, equal before God, equal in Christ Jesus to God, equal here at church, but in all of the rest of life, they are themselves subservient. And as soon as church is over, and the last amen is done, they are expected to do what their master desires. Can you imagine how that would grate on them? Who are you to tell me to do this? Did you not just hear how you and I in Christ are set free? There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, man. or We are all one in Christ Jesus. How can you expect me now to just follow you and obey you? I'm free in Christ Jesus. It appears that on one level they were leveraging their freedom their freedom in Christ to live however they wanted. Christ is just my master, as much, as much, is as much my master as you are. You don't have the right to make me do this. It's not fair that you're my master. Imagine if your master is just not as faithful of a Christian as you are. Here they're using their newfound freedom in Christ to, as a license to live and work however they wanted. And Paul tells us here, this is backward. He says, those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren. They've been despising them because they are fellow believers. Don't despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them. Serve them. Why? Because those who are benefited, those who benefit from your service, they are believers and beloved. So not only is the fact that they are fellow believers in Christ not meant to be a tool for us to leverage so that now we can do whatever we want at work. With other believers, it is meant to encourage us to work all the more faithfully, all the more all the more hard and diligently, knowing that the person that our work is ultimately benefiting, yes, is the Lord, but here this person is a faithful, beloved believer. They share in the same mission. They share the same Father, Lord. They share the same Savior. They share the same faith. Therefore, whatever we do, and however it benefits them, ultimately we can see it's, it's going to the Lord. If we serve an unbelieving boss, how much greater is it when we know that the the ultimate fruits of our labors are not serving a boss who has a different set of priorities, but one who shares our faith, one who shares our goals. 
one who shares our mission. More than this, they're not just fellow believers, he says. They are believers and beloved. This is a this is a title that is often used to describe God's people in the New Testament. Not only believers, but beloved. Beloved by who? That's, that's the big point, right? Big question. Beloved by who? Well, as we gather together as a church, we are called to love one another. And so we are a part of the beloved. We are part of the, the family of God. We are beloved one by another. We ought to be. We must be. So they are part of that family. But more importantly here, he is, he is describing them not, not only that they are beloved within the family of God, but that they are beloved by God. They are themselves so loved by God that they are his beloved. Each of you this morning who have put your faith and hope in the Lord are beloved by God. Are beloved by God in Christ Jesus. So far from giving us a license to mistreat other believers, even those in authority over us, the gospel calls us to treat them with respect. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us are going to stand one day before God and we are going to give an account to Him for everything we have ever done or said at work. This tells us a lot about our God, doesn't it? It tells us that he, he knows all things and he knows all things about us. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Whether it is said out in the open or it is said in private in the break room, God knows about it. And not only does he know about it, he cares. It is an offense not only to our bosses, but it is an offense to him who has put those authorities in our lives. We will stand before him. And because we are broken, because we have sinned, because we have failed in this again and again, friend, you and I deserve that judgment. He is holy and righteous, and we are unworthy sinners. And while we see in the Bible God's love for all generally, we also see his special love for his people, those he has chosen to save to send his son to redeem, to call to himself by his spirit, to include in his family and call his beloved. So that there is hope in Christ that though you and I stand justly condemned by God, yet because of his great love, there is hope. Because of his great love, there is more than hope. There is certainty that for all who turn from their sin and trust in Christ Jesus, that their guilt is washed away. And though we have no right to come to God on our own, we are accepted by Him. Friends, there is something that you and I need to see that we can't miss out. Here we are at church and we are not, we are talking about what it means to follow Jesus, not in the abstract, but in in real life. Following Christ isn't merely something we do 
at church emotionally while we're singing. I love God, and I, every time we're singing, oh, I just feel it. That's, that's not what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Christ demands our life. This is something you and I too easily miss. Following Christ isn't just about what we do when we pray, when we read our Bibles and gather with other Christians. Following Christ is what we do every day, even when we are at work. For some of you, work begins this afternoon. Work begins this evening. Others, most of you, it begins on the dreaded Monday morning, right? Tomorrow, you will, your alarm will go off. Some of you will hit the snooze repeatedly. And eventually, you'll drag your lazy carcass out of bed. And, and you will go and find one of God's best gifts in coffee. And, and you will drink it and drink more throughout the day, and you will get yourself to work. And you'll start working. And you may have problems. You you will have issues this week. How are you going to deal with those? How are you going to honor Christ with your attitude, not just with your work? God not only calls us to do good work for his glory, part of that good work for his glory is how we do it with the attitude that we bring. And what fuels all of that is our confidence and our trust in him. You will feel justified, and many of you may even be justified, humanly speaking, to despise your bosses, to disrespect them, to mock them. But there is more at stake this week than your paycheck. The honor of Christ is at stake. The way you respond to those who work, the way that you respond to those above you at work, will either give weight to the call of the gospel, or it will demean it, it will undermine it. Do you know where you're going to find the strength for this? Because perhaps, perhaps some of you will remember this tomorrow morning. But Tuesday morning? Wednesday? Even I'm not optimistic enough that you're going to remember this. So where is the strength, the resources that you will find to obey Paul, to obey the Lord here? It's not in you. It is in Christ. It is in the Lord. Was he not? Was, was there anyone more perfect than him? He who was Lord over all condescended to take on humanity. He who knows all things limited himself. He had to learn things. Imagine being perfect and having to put up with terrible bosses. People telling you what to do. Christ, we know, all of his life did all things right. And we find elements that whenever Christ came to authorities within his realm, he submitted himself to them. 
We see this, no greater example of this than his submission to the Father at the cross. Not my will, but as you will. And he does that for the glory of God. He does that to save sinners. I'd encourage you, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, this week, in that moment when you are most tempted to mock, to belittle, to to condescend toward those over you, call upon Christ. Ask for his help. That he may strengthen you to follow him every day, all day, even at work. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace to us in Christ. We are mindful this morning, Father, how all of us have, all of us who do work, have failed in this repeatedly over the course of our lives. We do not like to yield our lives over to another person. And especially when that person is not as wise as we are in our judgment, is not as knowledgeable as we are in our judgment, is not fit for the job in our judgment. And yet, O Lord, we pray that you would teach us to trust you. To trust when we cannot control, to trust in your authority, your control. And by our faith in you, we pray that it would fuel a right attitude toward those around us, toward those above us, especially in the difficulty of work, that your name may be adorned and not demeaned by the way we carry ourselves throughout the week. Father, use us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.